Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a service of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. Join us as we continue through this sermon series out of 1 Peter on rebuilding the sacred community. Here's Pastor Dave. If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is part four of Rebuilding the Sacred Community. Writing in the February 2021 edition of World Magazine, founder Joel Bells commented on his failure to sell advertising space to major American brands in world's early editions. So this is 30 years ago. All of them, he said, were uncomfortable with the religious framework of the news magazine. And quoting, keep in mind, he says, these men were not just professing Christians, but folks who had reputations as seriously committed believers. We're talking about people at places like Maytag and Coca-Cola and name brands like that. He said, I'm fairly certain that if I dropped by to see them a generation earlier, most or even all of them would have signed on with warm enthusiasm. But my corporate friends were expressing an abstract fear of something ominous on the horizon. I understood their caution, but begged them to prepare early rather than late. So why bring this up now some 30 years afterward? Partly because so little has changed, but some of the picture is also quite different. Three or four decades ago, I failed to close the deal with half a dozen business leaders mostly because they didn't want their landscape cluttered with embarrassing religious artifacts. Just keep all that at a distance, they said. Now, though, just keeping a distance isn't enough. In today's climate, extinction is more and more the goal. Withholding their good names from our advertising pages isn't punishment enough. Now... Corporations are joining forces with those who want to ensure that we have no page from which to withhold their names. That is why we see the biggest businesses and many corporate giants not so subtly dictating to our culture a radical leftist value system, often appearing to be bent on weakening the weakening and destruction of those who dissent. Think that extinction and destruction are a bit strong, says Bells? Then keep your eyes focused in the months ahead on issues like tax exemption and hate speech. Go back and review the pledges offered by all the Democratic presidential candidates, many of which would explicitly widen the platforms of the LGBT alliance and tighten restrictions on any entity that might be seen as critical of it. One of those candidates is now president of the United States and others are active in his administration. Bells concludes by saying this, I didn't appreciate it 30 years ago when those businessmen turned down my sales pitch, but going from reluctant ad buyers to a threatening president is in my experience going from bad to worse. Well, I think few of those of you who are listening to me today, or possibly even on a podcast, would disagree with Bell's assessment. And one of the big reasons I have been preaching on the theme of rebuilding the sacred community for the past four weeks 
is because I want FCC as a church and whoever else is listening to be prepared early rather than late. And the Apostle Peter helps us prepare in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, where he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Well, the first thing that we should remember when we see that instruction Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men is that in the United States of America, we the people are the rulers and authorities. Those who govern us govern by our consent, by consent of the people. And it is our job to appoint them to their positions of power and to remove them when they abuse it or when they go contrary to the Constitution. I spoke at length about that difference in the cultural context between New Testament times and our times in past sermons. So I'm not going to recap that now. If you would like to hear that or read that, please ask for a CD or a PDF of the series called The Church in the World, The Church in the World, parts one, two, and three. And those were back from 2016. So in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, just to build a little bit of context, Peter wrote of three relationships. First, he talked about our relationship to God as a spiritual house, a gathered church. The gathered church is God's home on this earth. And then Peter addressed our relationship to unbelievers in general. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, part of whose task is to intercede for others outside of the kingdom and to introduce them to God's grace and to serve as ambassadors for God's kingdom. Because Christ interceded for us, Christ put himself in our place and represented us to God, we can now represent God to the world. Thirdly, Peter spoke to our personal spiritual lives. Call it our relationship to ourselves when he says, abstain, put some distance between yourself and those things which war against your soul, which threaten to destroy your spiritual life, and then pursue good deeds that advertise the excellencies of God. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's addressed those three things. Now he gets to verse 13 through 17, and the focus shifts from personal ethics and behavior to the way believers function as part of a body politic or a civil society, our duties to the governing authorities and to the society around us. Christians are to have a reputation where, wherever they live and, and under whatever kind of government they live of fearing God and doing things that demonstrate God's love for all people in the communities where they live. So doing, not just serving. But the movement of the culture is toward the destruction and extinction, if you remember what Bell said, of those who, out of reverence for God, disagree with the cultural trends. 
And so in that sense, we are not unlike the Christians of Peter's day. And the instructions he had for them become highly relevant for us. So the first thing that he says is, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. The Greek word, the Greek word for submit is hypotosomai, and it is the same word used to describe how everything is subject to Christ in Ephesians chapter 1.22. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now keep in mind when Peter wrote this, Nero was the emperor. He was one of the worst emperors of Rome, one of the worst persecuting emperors of Rome, and he was in control. So we ask ourselves, how could Peter encourage submission to that kind of leadership? Well, Peter recognized something that all biblical Christians have to recognize, that all authority, whether it is properly exercised or not, flows from God himself. It may be helpful to look at Paul's instructions to Timothy on the same topic in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So there's a so that attached to our submission to the authorities. And the so that is this. The authorities that exist are there to provide the order necessary for the peaceful coexistence of sinners in community. If we didn't have government, some kind of government, any kind of government, we would rapidly devolve into warring tribes and destroy ourselves. And so you have to have a government among sinners in order to maintain enough peace and order so that people can live holy and orderly and godly lives in, in some kind of peace. Peter and, Bo and Paul both know that the fastest way to create chaos and to discredit the gospel along the way is to undermine and show disrespect for authority. That's why they give us these instructions. In a, a 2001 editorial in the Wall Street Journal said this, People want to be lightly governed by strong governments. People want to be lightly governed by strong governments. Lots of muscle, lots of restraint, according to Joel Bells again. There is an innate yearning in almost all of us for that rare combination. When evil people rise up, we want a government with the clout to back them down. Yet we never want that clout turned on us. When bad guys are on the street, we want a policeman that's strong enough to pull the bad guys on the street, off the street. But we don't want the policeman using excessive force on us. We want the policeman holding our son's hand, our little kid's hand, and walking him back to mommy and daddy in the mall when he gets lost. So if we want that kind of government, we have to contribute to it by showing respect for what we have and not tearing it down. That's what Peter and Paul are saying. And, by, and we have to do that by having the strength of convictions clothed in courteous speech and respectful behavior. The strength of our convictions clothed in courteous speech and respectful behavior. So it's okay to disagree with people and to argue vigorously for or against a set of governing principles. 
But Peter says, live as free men, but do not use it as a covering for evil. It's okay to disagree. It is not okay to vilify the people with whom we disagree. If someone, for example, on Facebook or in the media is showing disrespect for the office or disrespect for anyone else, Christians should not be a part of that. We should not be piling on and calling names because when we do, we are undermining order instead of building it. Obedience is the behavior and respect is the behavior that naturally follows respect for authority. So the only time not to obey the authorities is when we are being asked to cooperate with the state when it reverses its God-given duty and promotes evil instead of punishing it and opposes good instead of rewarding or furthering it. Let me say that again. That's a quote from John R.W. Stott in a book he wrote way back in 1999. The only time not to obey the authorities is when we are being asked to cooperate with the state when it reverses its God-given duty, promoting evil instead of punishing it, and opposing good instead of rewarding and furthering it. So think back to some historic examples. This is what Martin Luther did in, as he kicked off the Reformation in the 1500s. He opposed with great respect and with great humility, but he opposed the Catholic Church who had the authority at the time because it was reversing its God-given duty. It was, it was undoing its God-given duty and promoting evil instead of punishing it. Think back to William Wilberforce, the great uh, abolitionist in England in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Think back to Martin Luther King Jr. and compare him to Malcolm X, who was leading the Black Panthers movement at the time in the 1960s. King advocated a respectful but vigorous response or rebellion to or civil action against the government at the time, the law, the Jim Crow laws at the time. But he did it with respect and he called for a peaceable kind of revolution. Whereas other people were calling for a violent uh, black nationalism kind of thing. And think now uh, in our day to David Daleiden. You may or may not have heard of David Daleiden, but he is uh, the leader of the Center for Medical Progress and he led undercover videographers into a restaurant and recorded um, Planned Parenthood executives talking with medical professionals and bargaining basically over baby parts from abortions, which is illegal in this country. He is stand and he's made that public and now he's suffering for it. He is being prosecuted by the state of California. So sadly, the situation in our country and that more and more Christians find themselves in is that our employers and our government are moving more and more with the cultural winds and they are promoting evil instead of punishing it and they are opposing good instead of rewarding and furthering it. So we, the question that we must grapple with is what happens when our reverence for God puts us in conflict with the authorities. Fear God, honor the king. What happens when our fear for God 
puts us in a position where we cannot honor what the king is doing. What does faithfulness to Christ and submission to authority look like in our time? Let me give you an example of the kinds of situations that people find themselves in. A vice president of human resources at a hospital oversees a self-funded health insurance plan for its employees. That means the hospital is so big it self-funds its own insurance plan. The plan, however, does not cover sex reassignment surgery. But a mother, an employee, has requested this surgery for her 17-year-old daughter who thinks she's a boy. The insurance company denied the request. The vice president of human resources, who's a believer, denied the request. But the mother is continuing to press the case. A whole bunch of psychiatrists and doctors are backing her. So the VP of HR continues to deny the request, feeling that it would be a dereliction of duty to approve it. What's going to happen, however, if the woman sues and if the human rights campaign, as they have done to others, pressures his employer to fire him? What's he going to do? You see the conflict and the problem with conscience. Fear God, honor the king. How do you do that? Now, I heard that story on Breakpoint. They have special editions called Breakpoint Q&A that John Stone Street hosts. And this was on February 3rd. And Stone Street said, we get questions almost every week now. It's like, why do you guys keep talking about this? He said, believe me, I would rather be talking about anything else other than this. But here's the deal. We get the same question every week from a variety of people in a variety of situations. This is going on all over the country. Students, teachers, medical professionals, human resources people in large companies, military folks across the board. We get questions like this every week. It's happening all over the country. He said, are people going to look back 50 years from now and ask about this transgender moment? What were they thinking? How did they convince themselves that harming little boys and girls was a good thing? Or is this just going to be the new normal? I mean, how did we get, we're asking ourselves, and, and hopefully sooner than 50 years, we'll be asking ourselves, how did we get to the place where we said it was okay to surgically alter an adolescent forever because they're not done growing up? How did we get to the place where we, where we thought it was okay where an adolescent boy could decide that he's a girl and walk into the, high, to the middle school or the high school bathroom with a bunch of biological adolescent girls who are dealing with their biological needs? How did we get to the place where that's okay? How do we get to the place where it's okay for a biological male to compete with and utterly obliterate biologically female athletes in middle school, in high school, in college, and we say that's okay. How did we get to that place? We got to that place, well, I'll come back and address that in a minute, but we've got to come back to the question for us, what does faithfulness to Christ and submission to authority look like in this cultural moment, because we are required to do both. It's not an either or, it's a both and kind of command. 
Fear God and honor the authorities. How do we do that? Well, I cannot improve. I'll tell you, I'll just confess. I cannot improve on how John Stone Street and Shane Morris answered this question in that same, in one of those podcasts. So I'm just going to share their answers with you and hope that you find them as helpful as I have. Number one, do not violate your conscience or dehumanize others. Do not violate your conscience or dehumanize others. So if you're being asked to violate your conscience, don't do that. But also don't dehumanize somebody else. Don't engage in name-calling. All people, including people who consider themselves transgender, are made in the image of God and have dignity for that reason and that reason alone, no matter what they think they are. And so understand that folks who are going this way are deeply confused and show compassion and give them dignity simply because they are made in the image of God. The cultural success that this ideology is experiencing right now is the result of a decades-long socio-political cultural strategy that has been enormously successful. Many people, millions of people, like have happened in abortion, will be harmed by it, and there's very little that we can do to stop it in the short run, but truth will ultimately prevail. And so our task as the royal priesthood is to live in truth without vilifying others, to show respect, but to live in truth and not compromise. So number one, don't violate your conscience or dehumanize others. Number two, decide if actual harm is being done or if your conscience is actually being violated. Decide if actual harm is being done or if somebody is really asking you to violate your conscience. Ask yourself if you are being forced to make a determination where someone is going to be harmed or where you are being forced to violate your conscience. At that point, you're going to have to make a hard decision that might cost you your job. Let me give you an example. Another one from uh, Breakpoint. Stone Street says a service member whose job it was to forward orders up the chain of command had a disagreement with those orders. But he was not being forced to participate in surgery. He was not being forced to approve funding. He was not being forced to participate in confirming even someone's gender confusion. He had no authority for the decision. He simply had an administrative task to do. He was not participating in harm. He was simply moving the paperwork. And so Stone Street said, my advice to you would just be do your job and move the paperwork. You're not responsible for what's going on whereas that VP of Human Resources in the hospital was. Number three, develop a theology of being fired. Develop a theology of being fired. In other words, work through your own biblically informed convictions about what you can and cannot affirm or participate in before you find yourself in a high-pressure situation. Work through it before you find yourself there. Because being in the situation and trying to make up your mind is not the right thing to do, not advisable. Jesus told parables about counting the cost of following him. And this is not something that we have had to do in this country before. But it is something that almost every generation of Christians has had to do at some point. 
So think of the Dutch Christians like Corrie ten Boom's family who hid Jews from the Nazis and paid for it with their lives. Or think about the white Christians in the South in the 1960s who had to decide if they were going to follow their conscience and stand up and support their black neighbors or whether they were going to stand by and say nothing as many vicious and brutal things were done in the name of white supremacy in the 1960s. Number four, develop a church plan for fired members. Pastors and churches need a theology of members getting, who get fired for dissenting. So it's possible that even this church, as many self-employed people as we have, could have people that show up here at some point and say, I lost my job because I took a stand on biblical principle. I feared God and I couldn't do what my school or what my, my employer told me to do. Can you help? So in other words, we as the chosen strangers, the royal priesthood, the holy nation that belongs to God, we need to be prepared to help our fellow believers who find themselves in these situations. We need to go ahead and be thinking about this ahead of time. Will we have a fund set up to help them pay bills till they can find another job? Will we help them with legal fees? Will we help them with retrain for a different kind of career? Will we help them find a job? Number five, and this to me is the most positive one of all of them and the most hopeful one, is look for the Daniel option, otherwise known as the third way. Look for the Daniel option. So you remember the story. Daniel and his three friends were enslaved and taken to Babylon, and they were forced to join the king's service. And as part of their training, they were told to eat meat and drink wine that went against their conscience as Old Testament believers. And so they asked for vegetables instead, and they suggested that they be tested at the end of a 10-day run and see how they did. So they asked for a third option, and that's important. The way they did this is important because it showed respect, number one. It showed creative problem solving, number two. And it showed that they were willing to be accountable. They weren't, they weren't going to die on that hill, so to speak. They were looking for a third way. At the end of the trial, they were in better shape than the other fellows in the program. Many situations have more than two solutions. Look for the third way. And then sixth, contact the Alliance Defending Freedom or Liberty Council or one of the other religious freedom uh, legal defense organizations that have sprung up in the last several years. Uh, the ADF, I think, is the oldest and the one, probably the most robust, but I know Liberty Council has one, and also know the Virginia Family Foundation has one that they are urging people to call on. And here's the thing about these legal organizations. They are looking for cases that are solidly founded on biliblical convictions, where like Baron L. Stutzman, the florist out in Oregon, and Jack Phillips, uh, the cake baker in Colorado, these believers have acted in absolute integrity with the first five things I told you on this list and probably even more, that with the whole thing. Their, their respect for God and their respect for others has been completely consistent. So these organizations, ADF and the like, they're not just looking to win a legal fight. They're trying to do what is right. 
They aren't just looking for high-profile cases either. They are looking for cases that set good jurisprudence so that religious liberty is protected and restored in the American context. Men and women, this is going to be a long battle. And everybody who calls himself a follower of Christ and is serious about fearing God and trying to live in a conscience that is aligned with the truths of the gospel and the truths of the Bible is going to have some sort of contact with this. And so we need to be thinking ahead of time, how are we going to function? How are we going to obey this command to love God, fear God, and honor the king? Well, as you know, I've been quoting recently uh, from the book Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. And he summarizes our situation in a chapter titled Progressivism as Religion. Progressivism in all its forms appeals to a religious longing in the souls of intelligent young people, both the secular and those within churches who do not recognize the authority of Scripture. And this is very important. To them, it is the way to solve the world's problems. How, why are they so cranked up about this? Because they don't know Christ yet, or they don't know their Bibles if they do. And to them, it's the way to solve the world's problems. They just want everybody to be treated kindly. And so this is why Christians today, he says, must understand that fundamentally, they aren't resisting a different politics, but what is effectively a rival religion. Fear God. Honor the king. This is a rival religion that seeks to take the place of God in our lives. So what do we do? Well, I want to conclude with this rather lengthy story from Vaclav Havel. Do you know who Vaclav Havel was? Vaclav Havel died in 2011. He was a Czech playwright, and he was a poet. He was also a political dissident against communism when being a dissident against communism could really cost you something. He was the president of Czechoslovakia after the communism fell from 1989 to 92, and he presided over the Czech Republic, which divided from the Slovak Republic, from 93 to 2003. In other words, he led and presided over a peaceful revolution. His most famous encouragement to other would-be dissenters was to live in truth. So the title of Rod Dreher's book is Live Not By Lies. That's a direct quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn who wrote the Gulag Archipelago about the oppression in Russia. Hobbles encouragement to would-be dissenters was live in truth and he knew that the average Czech citizen had no way to stand up to the police state no way possible so during a 10-year term prison term because of his dissonant activity he wrote a little parable he wrote a little story about a green grocer he said the green grocer posts a sign in his shop with a well-known slogan from the communist manifesto workers of the world unite he doesn't believe it he hangs it in his shop as a signal of his own conformity. He just wants to be left alone. Can you identify with that? I think there are an awful lot of Americans right now, Christians or not, who 
who just don't want to get involved, who just want to be left alone. And so they're just going along to get along. His action is not meaningless, though, says Havel. His act not only confirms that this is what is expected of one in a communist society, but also perpetuates the belief that this is what it means to be a good citizen. Isn't that what we're being told? Let us now imagine that one day something in our greengrocer snaps and he stops putting up the slogans merely to ingratiate himself. He stops voting in elections he knows are a farce. He begins to say what he really thinks at political meetings, and he even finds the strength in himself to express solidarity with those whom his conscience commands him to support. In this revolt, the greengrocer steps out of living within the lie. He rejects the ritual and breaks the rules of the game. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and his dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His revolt is an attempt to live within the truth. This costs him. He loses his shop. His salary is cut. He won't be able to travel abroad. Maybe his kids won't be able to get into college. People persecute him not because they disagree with him, but because they want to keep the authorities off of their backs. But Havel says there is a deeper meaning to his act. By breaking the rules of the game, he has disrupted the game as such. He has exposed it as a mere game. He has shattered the world of appearances, the fundamental pillar of the system. He has upset the power structure, by tearing apart what holds it together, which is the lie. He has demonstrated that living a lie is living a lie. He has said that the emperor is naked. And because the emperor is in fact naked, something extremely dangerous has happened. By his action, the green grocer has addressed the world. He has enabled everyone to peer behind the curtain. He has shown that it is possible to live within the truth. So how do we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men and keep our Christian conscience? How do we show proper respect to everyone, fear God, and honor the King? Live not by lies. Live according to truth. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God alone. And honor the king. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this uh, word from Peter and also Paul all the way through your book that you gave us so that we would know how to live. We pray for ourselves that you would give us courage, Father. Courage all believers, for courage, never to give in to fear. We pray that you would give us faith to believe that you are working through us. We pray that you would help us and protect us from despair and help us live with confidence and with hope. Strengthen us for these days, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.